For our scripture reading this morning, we are in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, and we'll read down through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. The Bible says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had supped, saying, This is or this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged." But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for what you have done for us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for shedding your blood for us giving your body for us and your blood for us. And and Lord, I just pray that that would be the focal point this morning. I just pray that we would have in remembrance, not just this morning when it is preached, but all of the time. Help us to not ever forget what it is that you have done for us. And Lord, I just pray that you'd be with preacher as he preaches this morning. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, use him in a mighty way and speak to our hearts and Lord, especially in this, in this service this morning as we prepare to take communion, Lord, if there's anything in our hearts and in our minds that uh, we know that we've done wrong and we haven't made it right with you, I just pray that we would. And uh, Lord, we love you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians chapter 11. Today is our opportunity to have the Lord's Supper at the close of the service today, and so I wanted to take a little bit of time to speak to you on the subject just simply concerning the Lord's Supper, concerning the Lord's Supper. For many of us, this is going to be a reminder of some things that we already know. For others of you, some of you perhaps are new Christians and you have a lot of questions about the Lord's Supper, hopefully we'll answer some of those today, and it'll give us all the opportunity just to examine our hearts and our minds and Let the Lord speak to us today. There's some notes on the back of your bulletin if you want to fill those out as we go along. We're observing today a most sacred ordinance of the church. When I say most sacred, that does not mean that it is any more sacred than any other ordinance. We have two ordinances that we have in our church. One is the Lord's Supper, and what's the other one? Baptism, all right? So we have those two ordinances of the the church that we carry out in... uh, In our church, each of those ordinances are not to be entered into lightly. 
especially for those of us who are participating in them and that are a part of them. There are many, as you well know, that take very lightly the ordinance of baptism. Uh, to some, it's just a mere practice. To others, it's a sacred ordinance that we fulfill when we follow the Lord in, in believer's baptism. Water baptism is a public testimony that we have been born again, that we have been baptized into the family of God, though we understand that the water doesn't baptize us into the family of God. Amen? We're baptized by the Holy Spirit into the family of God the moment we get saved. And water baptism is a testimony of that. It is a public testimony that I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and if, if baptism saved us, then I think a lot of people would just go get baptized just for the sake of, of going through the form and, and saying that they are saved. I know the Mormon church, for instance, practices what they believe baptizing for the dead. And they go through genealogies. You might wonder why the Mormon church has such an extensive genealogy. It's because they're, they use those and get baptized for their ancestors that have died and weren't saved. And they think they can get baptized for them. And therefore, they're going to get to go to heaven then. Well, the Bible teaches very clearly baptism doesn't save us. It's personal faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we repent and turn from our sins and trust Christ as our Savior, we are saved and we become a part of the family of God. Some people misinterpret the verse in Acts chapter 2.38. And Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And there are those that misinterpret that, and they do not understand that God says in that verse, says Peter said unto them, Repent. Repent precedes baptism. Amen? We repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and then we are baptized. He says, Baptized every one of you in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. And they say, Well, there it is. It says we're, we're baptized for salvation. That's not what it says. The word for there means because of. If I take off and go down Turkey Foot Road and I'm going down there about 60 miles an hour, Brother Mike pulls me over and he gives me a ticket. He doesn't give me a ticket. He gives me a ticket for speeding, right? Does he give me a ticket in order that I can speed? No, he gives me a ticket because I was speeding, right? So, when the Lord says, for the remission of sins, it is because of the remission of sins. Because our sins have been forgiven, we follow the Lord in baptism. I believe that when a person trusts Christ as their Lord and Savior, they'll have a desire to want to be baptized. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch, after Philip preached unto him Jesus in Acts chapter 8 and verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And the next verse says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, here, here, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So Philip is speaking to the eunuch then. And the eunuch, he, he, the eunuch, he explains Christ and he believes and he gets saved. And then he sees the water and he says, he says in verse 37, What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So salvation took place for that Ethiopian eunuch after he believed. He put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As Peter preached unto him Jesus, he said, I believe. And he said, okay, then you can be baptized. 
You see, a lot of times people get confused about it, and they think, well, you know, I was baptized when I was a little kid. And, and, uh, or maybe they think that they had, they had water sprinkled on them or water poured on them. Baptism is by immersion. The word baptize means to dunk or to put under. When we get baptized, we're put under the water because it is a picture of the what? Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism by immersion is the only type of baptism that can picture the death. Jesus was crucified on the cross, placed in the grave, and then rose again from the dead. And baptism by immersion is a picture of that. And so you might say, well, as a baby, they poured some water on me. That's not baptism. That's not scriptural baptism. You may say, well, somebody sprinkled a little bit of water on me. They, they did whatever they do and, and, and put a little bit of water. That's not baptism. That's not a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. Let me just say this. Any religion that baptizes infants believes that baptism saves you. The reason why they baptize the infant is to make sure they go to heaven. See, we do not baptize infants. We don't baptize children until they're old enough to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. They are born a sinner and have a sinful nature and have violated God's laws and they need a savior. And when they understand Christ died for their sins, to take away their sins, they've invited him into their heart and life. He's washed, of, washed us of our sins, and they've trusted Christ and become a child of God. Then we can baptize them. After you've been saved, it is scriptural baptism. Any baptism before salvation is not biblical, it is not scriptural. And any baptism that is not by immersion is not biblical, and it's not scriptural. So Philip was saying to this eunuch, he was saying the same thing that Paul is saying to us when we come to the Lord's Supper. Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. In other words, he asked, he said, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And so what did Philip say? If thou believest with all thine heart. What was Paul saying to us here? Can we partake of the Lord's Supper? And what did he say? Examine yourself. That's what Philip was saying, the Ethiopian unit. Examine yourself. Do you believe? Have you trusted Christ as your Savior? And now when we come to the Lord's Supper, the Lord is saying the same thing to us. He's saying, examine yourself. The title of the message this morning is Concerning the Lord's Supper. I could have entitled it Discerning the Lord's Supper. Amen? Discerning. For verse 29 says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So he said there's some things that we need to examine ourselves about if we're going to be partakers of the Lord's Supper. There's several things that I want you to notice. First of all, what is the Lord's Supper? What is the Lord's Supper? Sometimes we use the word communion. Sometimes we use the, the two words Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a memorial service. Verse number 25, it says to us there, This do ye as oft as you drink it in, what's the next word? remembrance of me. It is a memorial service. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is the time to remind us of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew priests repeatedly brought offerings to God, which typified the one true sacrifice that Jesus Christ would make when he came and died on the cross. And the offering of Christ, as Hebrews 10 and verse 10 says, once for all, he died once and he died for all. Put an end to all the need of those sacrificial offerings that were made before that time. The once for all nature of Christ's atonement 
supports the view that the Lord's Supper is a memorial or a remembrance of His sacrifice for our sins on Calvary. It was instituted on the night of the Passover meal, which itself served as a reminder of the deliverance of the Egyptians out of the bondage when they were down, or the Israelites out of bondage when they were in Egypt. It was also a sign and a seal of the deliverance from the bondage of sin and of communion with God in the promised Messiah. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we are saved and sealed. And one day when we die or the rapture takes place, we're going to get delivered. Amen? To the, to the place that, you, if you want to call it the promised land, to heaven, to be with him for all of eternity. It was in connection with this Paschal meal that Jesus himself instituted the Lord's Supper. The Paschal lamb among the ancient Hebrews was the lamb that was slain and eaten at the Passover. You find that significance ascribed to the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'll back up just a few pages from chapter 11, look at chapter 5 and verse number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. <clears throat> he says in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. We are not to partake of the Lord's Supper if we have known sin in our life. And Paul goes on to say, if you're still there in 1 Corinthians 5, look at verse number 8. He says, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So as we think about the Lord's Supper, it is something that we examine ourselves. And he talks about here the leaven. The leaven represents sin, doesn't it? And so God says the, the, the sacrifice that they, that they had was to be without leaven. The bread was without leaven because leaven represents sin. When we use the wafer, the, the cracker in the Lord's Supper, it has no leaven in it because leaven represents sin. That's why when we use the drink, we use grape juice. Grape juice does not have fermentation in it like wine, which would again represent sin. Wine is not a true representation of Christ. And so we use the fruit of the vine, the grape juice, because we're to, it represents Christ who was sinless. And then it also tells us that we're to get our lives cleaned up and pure and be right before the Lord. He says in verse 28, take, eat, this is my body. And then, in, and then he says, for this is my blood in verse 28. He spoke of that metaphorically. When the Lord said we take and we eat of his body and his blood, he's not saying that the body, what, the emblems that we take literally become the body and blood, the actual body and blood of Christ. That's not what he's saying here. The, the Roman Catholic Church teaches the doctrine of transubstantiation. They believe that when the priest blesses the emblems, it becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. That's not what the Lord is saying here. This is, this is a, a picture. Uh, it is a metaphor. In John chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. Did he mean he was a literal door? No. It was a picture. Christ is the door. We go through Christ to get to heaven. Amen? 
When he says this is the body and blood, it is a picture. That wafer is a picture of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for us. That, that fruit of the vine, the grape juice, is a picture of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was shed for you and for me in order that we could have eternal life. But it does not become the literal body and blood of Christ. If that was the case, we would be crucifying Jesus all over again every time we took communion. Amen? We'd be taking his life again. But Hebrews again, 10.10 says he died once for all. Secondly, who instituted the Lord's Supper? Who instituted it? Well, Paul gives us the answer right here in the the first verse that we read tonight, or this morning, in verse 23. He says, for I received of who? The Lord. Say those two words together with me. The Lord. For I received of the Lord. Where did he get this? The Lord. So who instituted the Lord's Supper? The Lord did. The Lord did. This is not something that man made up or men thought up. Paul said, I received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus Christ, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread when he'd given thanks, he'd break it, and, and he tells about what he does then. He received this from the Lord, a direct claim of revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ as the origin of the Lord's Supper. So why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Because the Lord instituted it and established it. Luke's account in, in Luke chapter 22 is almost identical to this one. In Luke chapter 22 and verse number 17, listen to what he says there. Luke 22 and verse 17 He says, and he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took the bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, let me ask you a question. When Jesus did that, when he had that last supper with the disciples, he said to them, this is my body, speaking of the bread, which is given for you. And then he said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Had his body been given yet or his blood been shed yet? No. He hadn't died yet. But what he's saying is, this represents my body and my blood my body that was crucified on the cross, my blood that was shed for you and for me. So it's instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not some dogma that the church instituted. It is given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Many of the rituals of the Catholic Church and of other churches have become just that. They've become rituals. They become what Paul says, a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 5, he says, from such turn away. We are not having a ritual. We are having something the Lord himself directed us to do that reminds us of what he did for us. Thirdly, notice with me, did the early church practice the Lord's Supper? What about the early church? Did they practice the Lord's Supper? Well, evidently they did. As Paul here in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he is correcting them because they were doing it wrong in some ways. 
In Acts, he tells us in chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. When he talked about breaking bread, he wasn't talking about them having a fellowship of a, after a service on a Sunday night. He's talking about breaking the bread in the Lord's Supper, the communion. Again, in Acts 20 and verse 7, it says, Upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. So they came together to meet for church service, and they broke bread. They had the Lord's Supper there. They, they celebrated the communion. And then that brings me to the fourth thing, and that is, what is the significance of the Lord's Supper? What's the significance of the Lord's Supper? Paul refers to it as communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? In other words, this is a time when Christians should make sure that we are in communion or in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and in fellowship with each other. This observing the Lord's Supper should unify us. It unifies us in that we are one, you might say, in Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you'll back up just one chapter from, from 11 that we're at, look at verse 17, chapter 10 and verse 17. And he says there, For we, being many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. In other words, he said, as, as God's family, as, as children of God, as the family of God, we're partaking of the Lord's Supper, we're one. It's a, it's a common cause, a common belief, a common faith. We're one in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it causes us to be in communion or in fellowship with each other. That's why he tells us we're to examine ourselves and make sure everything's right between us and the Lord and between us and each other so that we can partake and be in communion and in fellowship. From the standpoint of time, the Lord's Supper has three meanings. First of all, it's a memorial that looks back to Christ's death. It looks back to his, to his death. And then the present meaning of the Lord's Supper is that we are in communion with Christ and one another. And thirdly, the future meaning is found in our text. Look back at chapter 11 with me in verse 20, 26. And you get the future of it. He says, For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death, what's the last three words? Till he comes. The future aspect of it, we think oftentimes of the Lord's Supper reminding us of the death and burial and resurrection of Christ, but don't forget till He comes. Amen? It reminds us He's coming back again. And every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we ought to be thrilled at the fact that He is coming back for His family and for His church one of these days. And that brings me to the final question, and that is, who should participate in the Lord's Supper? Who should participate in the Lord's Supper? We here at our church believe in what we call close communion. There's really three types of communion. There's open communion, there's closed communion, there's close communion. We believe in close communion. By that we simply mean this. Open communion says anybody can partake of communion. All right? It's open to anybody who wants to take of it. Closed communion says you have to be a member of this church. 
Close communion says, if you know Christ is your Savior and you're saved and you're in a right relationship with God and others, then as a believer, you're a part of the family of God. You're welcome. You don't have to be a part of our local family. You can partake of the Lord's Supper. Aren't you glad when you're on vacation or traveling and you visit another church, you find a church like ours and you, you hear the Word of God and you can go in and sit down and you just feel like you're at home. Amen? Amen. Why? Because we're part of the family. Now, I've been in some churches when I was on vacation. I didn't feel at home. <laughs> I didn't feel comfortable. But when you get in the right kind of church, you feel at home. We're a family. So close communion means that you must be saved, obviously. Number two, in a right relationship with God and others. And then you are welcome to partake of the Lord's Supper as we partake of it here. And so God wants us to be a part of it. I don't think that anybody should be uh, discouraged from it if you're saved and if you're a child of God. Look at what he says here in, in verse 27 of chapter 11 again. He says in verse 27, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, what's the next word? Unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Now, these verses speak to us concerning this matter of self-examination. Back in verse number 11, uh, or verse 21 of chapter 10, if you go back to chapter 10 again, look at verse 21. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and the table of devils. In other words, if you're going to partake of the Lord's supper... You've got to be one of his children. Amen. Amen? And so communion, the Lord's Supper, is for saved people. We're, we're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we trust Christ as our Savior, we're putting our faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for salvation from our sins. And so if you've not done that, then how can you have a memorial service that's a memorial of something that you haven't done. So it's a memorial of what Christ did, but it also looks back to what we have done. And the Lord says, you can't drink of the cup of devils and the cup of the Lord's table at the same time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, he says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and in truth. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, he says, I want you to examine yourself. First of all, make sure you're in the faith. Amen? And you're partaking as a child of God. Secondly, as a Christian, I'm to examine my life and make sure that I'm right before me and before God and before my fellow Christians, my fellow, my fellow believers. And so we put our faith and trust in the Lord and we want, as we said, everybody to partake. But I don't want anybody to partake, as he says here, when we partake unworthily, that we can literally be, be taking damnation, the Bible says, unto ourselves in verse number 29, not discerning the Lord's body. That, when he uses the word damnation, that doesn't mean we're going to be damned to hell. We're going to hell. That means that we're going to have some physical problems. And he says that, he clarifies that in verse number 31, or verse 30, he says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. 
In other words, God says, when you and I partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily, we know that there's sin as a believer, there's sin in my life, there's something in my life that I have not and am not willing to make right with God. God says, when I partake unworthily, he says, God has to judge me, and there are many weak and sickly, and some have died. Many sleep, some have died. In other words, God judges us. That's why he says, a little bit later on, he says, uh, if we judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So we judge ourselves so that God doesn't have to judge me. I look at my life and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in my life? And you know what? Most of the time, you don't have to ask the Lord. This is not a trick question. God's not trying to say, I'm trying to trap you and, and get you. You take the Lord's Supper or something you did and you didn't realize it was wrong. And so I'm going to judge. It's not it at all. It's talking about things in your life you know are not right, and God has been convicting you and dealing with it, and you've not been willing to deal with it. And God says, okay, you have a choice. You can either judge yourself, you can confess and make it right. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Or if you take the Lord's Supper, you partake unworthily, and he said, I'm going to have to judge you. And when God judges us, he chastens us. And he says, as a result, there's going to be some weak and sickly and, and sleep. I don't mean every time we get sick, it's because we took communion and we weren't right with God. But it does mean some of the times that might be the case. Amen? So as we come to partake t- today, make sure you're right with God. Amen? And you're right with your brothers and sisters. Anybody you're holding a grudge? Is there anybody you're just not right with? Ask the Lord to forgive you. And then go to them and make it right. We're to be right with each other. Isn't it wonderful how these things, if we deal with them in the right way, brings unity in, among God's people and causes us to be able to together serve the Lord and worship the Lord? What a wonderful thing it is. Nobody's saying, I'm perfect. Amen? But we can say when we take the Lord's Supper, as far as I know, everything's right between me and the Lord. Everything's right between me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. So we examine ourselves. And then we partake of the Lord's Supper. He wants us not to partake unworthily. I remind you that Judas, who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver, was there that night when they partook of the Lord's Supper. And obviously he took part of it. I want to warn you, don't be critical of Judas for doing that. If you have some leaven, some sin in your life that you haven't been willing to deal with, take care of what's in your life. I don't want to refuse anybody from partaking of the Lord's Supper. I think all of us should. The Bible says in one place, it says, drink ye all of it. That doesn't mean drink every drop of what's in that cup. It means all of you drink of it. You all partake of it. God commands us to. But I don't want you to partake of it and be guilty of the Lord's body and blood. I want everyone here to participate, but only after we examine ourselves and make sure we're saved and make sure we're in a right relationship, we're obedient to the Lord. This is a sacred time for blood-washed, born-again, redeemed Christians. And when we know that we have that relationship with the Lord, we can trust Him and we can follow in faith and in good, clear conscience. So in closing, I want to ask you two very important questions. Verse 13 says, examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. In other words, are you sure you're in the faith? 
Are you sure you're saved? Are you sure you're a child of God? If you're not, in a few moments we'll give an invitation. It'll be a wonderful time for you to come and get saved and trust the Lord as your Savior. The second question is, is there some sin which you've not asked the Lord's forgiveness? In Romans 6 and verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. You see, when we're not willing to confess our sin, it controls us. It reigns in our body. And it controls us instead of us controlling it and obeying the Lord. Chapter 11, verse 27, again he says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A brilliant young pianist some years ago was giving his very first concert. At the final chord of his brilliant performance, as it rever reverberated through the hall that night, the audience rose to its feet and brought out, burst out into a thunderous applause. And only one member of the whole audience remained in his seat, just clapping politely but without particular enthusiasm. Tears welled up in the eyes of the young pianist's eyes. His head drooped slightly as he left the stage in utter defeat. The stage manager of that great hall was a sensitive and observant man. He had noticed the long gentleman. He had seen the cool response and how it affected the star performer that night. And he went over to him and he said, son, he said, you're a hit. He said, everybody was overwhelmed with your, with your concert. The critic from the Times was in tears. By morning, you'll be famous. Don't let one guy get you down. And the dejected young man replied, you don't understand. That one man was my piano teacher. It only matters what he thinks. And I got to thinking, you know, it really only matters what he thinks, doesn't it? What does the Lord think? He knows our life. He knows what's going on for each one of us in our lives. It's not a matter of what the congregation thinks about you. It's not even a matter of what the preacher thinks. Only one thing, one thing matters, and that is the applause and the approval of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you can say, I know him as my Savior, as far as I know, everything's right between me and him and me and my brothers and sisters in Christ. Then we can wholeheartedly partake of a wonderful experience and be reminded of what Christ did for us on the cross at Calvary. Would you bow your heads together with me for prayer? Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have to partake of the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the opportunity that's given to us this morning not only to partake, but first to examine our lives and to make sure that everything is right. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts in these still moments as we prepare for our invitation time and then for the, the Lord's Supper. Would you remind us of those things that we need to deal with right now? And would you help us to be submissive to you and Lord, if there's a person here that's never trusted you as Savior, never invited you into your, their heart and life and been born again, been saved, become a child of God, would you help them to open their heart and life to you and settle it today? Make sure they're right with you in that relationship. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.